The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The passage for today is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 7 if you have not done so already. Matthew chapter 7, where over the past several weeks we have been seeing Jesus is bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion. And what we've seen is that he concludes the sermon through showing us four images. And each image confronts us with two things, two things that we've got to make a choice between. So the first image we saw, Jesus presented us with two ways or two paths that we could go down in life. There was this wide, easy way that leads to destruction, and there is this hard, narrow way that leads to life. After that, Jesus showed us the image of two trees that stood for two different kinds of prophets or preachers, teachers. There's the healthy tree for true prophets and preachers, and the unhealthy tree, disease tree for false prophets and teachers. And, and these teachers are the ones who will lead us down one of the ways Jesus says we've got to make a choice between which type of teacher we will follow. And we will know which one we should because like a tree, we will know them by their fruit. So four images, each image of two things. We've gone through two of them so far, and this morning we arrive at image number three. Except, ironically, if you just listen to the passage being read, you notice there's no image here. There's no metaphor. There's no picture. There's still two things that we have to choose between, but they're not given to us through a metaphorical picture like two ways or two trees. Jesus drops the imagery right here to speak directly to us about two kinds of confessions. Two kinds of confessions. Read it with me. Matthew 7, look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's a confession. I'm confessing Jesus is Lord. We confess Jesus is Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says there's two kinds of confessions. True confessions and false confessions. And right here, Jesus lays these out for us to see clearly without using any imagery at all. Why? Because he doesn't have to. The passage that you're looking at, this is a connecting passage. It's going to connect what came before and what came after. It's a connecting passage that is making more clear to us the imagery of the passages surrounding it. I'll show you what I mean. This, this passage right here, it's connected to the passage that came before it, the passage we went through last time about the two trees, true and false prophets. You can see that clearly if you just look at verse 22, because right there we've got false prophets making a false confession. Look at it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not, were we not prophets? 
Did we not prophesy in your name? This passage right here, it doesn't need imagery because it is making clear something about the imagery of the two trees in the passage that came before it. But not only that, it's also making something clear about the imagery we're going to get next week. Imagery in the passage that comes after this one. Next week, we're going to zoom in. It'll be the final sermon in our Sermon on the Mount series. We're going to zoom in on verses 24 through 27. Right there, we get the imagery of two different kinds of foundations upon which one can build their life. A foundation of sand or a foundation of, of rock. And I know that that passage is connected to this one because look at the very beginning of verse 24. Verse 24 actually begins with a connecting preposition. Un. It means therefore. ESV unfortunately doesn't translate it for you that way. It translates it as then. Then it'll be the second word in your translation. But it is a connecting preposition. Make no mistake. It is a little bit stronger than then. It means therefore. Therefore. And then the passage goes on to give us the imagery of the sand or the rock foundation that everybody's going to have to choose which one to build their life upon. So follow the logical connection with me between the passages, okay? Our passage today says the day will come when everyone's confession, not just those of prophets and preachers, but everyone's confession will be shown to be true or false. Therefore, in light of that coming day, therefore, build your life on the foundation that is made of rock, the rock of Christ. Do you see how our passage today is a connecting passage, connected to both those before, the one before and the one after? Our passage, it doesn't need imagery because it makes clear the imagery of the two passages surrounding it. It connects Jesus' words about two trees, true and false teachers, with his words about two foundations, true and false followers. It does that so that we may clearly see what ultimately makes anyone, teacher or follower, we may see what ultimately makes anyone false. It's their confession. Whether we're talking about true or false teachers, true or false followers, two trees or two foundations, the ultimate difference between who's true and who's false is their confession. Is their confession true or false? Is ours. That's, that's what we're being confronted with this morning. Jesus wants us to see the difference between two kinds of confessions so that we won't be deceived by teachers or by ourselves. So let's zoom in and look closely to see what is it that makes a confession true or false. Zoom in with me. Matthew 7, verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I think right here we are seeing the first of two truths about the two kinds of confessions. That truth can be summed up with simply as this, words versus will. So if you're taking notes, this is number one. Number one, see the difference between two kinds of confessions. Words versus will. Jesus says there's a kind of confession that's false because it is merely words. And right here, they're the right words. Are they not? Lord, Lord. Like, like that's, 
that's the correct thing to say. This is the first time, actually, in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus is called Lord. And yes, for the seminarians or Greek scholars out there, yes, the word Lord in the first century in Israel can simply mean sir, can simply be a polite thing to say, but we can easily see that it means more right here just by the setting. The setting is that of final judgment. How do we know that? Well, we know that because from the context, that's the setting in all four of the final images that Jesus gives us. They all point us towards the end. But not only that, we can see it because of the first three words in verse 22. Look at verse 22. First three words, on that day. That's a technical Old Testament phrase. That day, also known as the day of the Lord. It was the day when the Lord himself would come to reign and make all things right. Jesus in this text is presented as the one doing that. He is presented to us as the king of the kingdom. He gets to decide who comes in. And to be excluded is to depart from him. If you're calling Jesus Lord on this day, you're not simply saying, sir. Now, these people right here in this text are confessing that Jesus is Lord over all. And they do so earnestly. That's what we're meant to understand by the repetition of this title, Lord, Lord. This is a plea. This is, it's earned their confession of Christ. It, it seems earnest. It seems honest. It's the right words seemingly said in the right way. But it's a false confession because it is merely words. We know that because this confession gets contrasted. It gets contrasted, Jesus contrasts it for us, with one that not only speaks these words, it does do that, still says, Lord, Lord, but that's not all it does. It's a confession that doesn't just speak these words, but does the will of the Father. Look at it again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some will. Some who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Who? Well, it's those who don't just say, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, the evidence that Jesus is truly your Lord is that through him, you have come to know God as Father and the Holy Spirit is transforming your heart to love and live in line with his will. His thelema literally means will or wish or desire. You're living in line not with your desires, but with God's desires because your desires are being transformed to match his. Your desire is to live in line with his desire. That's what it means for Jesus to be your Lord. You can say Lord, Lord all day long, but what it means for him to be your Lord is that I want what he wants. I want to go where he goes. His desires 
or my desire. This is what it means for your confession to be true. It's not merely about words, but about will. It's the transformation of my desires, my affections, so that what I confess with my mouth aligns with the affections of my heart. I say Jesus is Lord, and you see it play out in my life, because these aren't just words. I love and I long to do his will. Isn't this the kind of thing that Jesus has been talking to us about all throughout the Sermon on the Mount? Have we not seen again and again and again, like at the heart of the sermon, he has been harping on the difference between a hypocritical life where the external and the internal don't match. You can say whatever you want to externally, but does it line up with the affections of your heart? Pharisees said all the right words. You can do whatever you want to do externally. Pharisees did all the right actions. But does it line up with the internal affections of your heart? Jesus has been harping on the difference between a hypocritical, a divided life where the external and internal don't match versus a holistic life where the external and the internal do match. Where if you confess Jesus as Lord with your words, you also live lovingly, live in line with his will. Your confession is not a false one of words versus will. No, your confession is a true one where words match will. Do do you see the difference between these two kinds of confessions? One of the places that I have seen this difference most clearly in my own life is through the example of my father. Um, My dad, his mother died when he was two years old, and he grew up in a state-run orphanage in Corsicana, Texas. Uh, And as a result, he grew up angry, bitter, filled with, with rage until he was about 30 years old, and Jesus invaded his life. And this man, who grew up without a father, somehow became an incredible father. How? I only have one explanation. It's because his confession wasn't merely one of words. He was transformed to desire what his father in heaven desired to live in line with his will he learned to be a father from the father that's the only explanation i've got and let me tell you tony hafes is by no means a perfect human being i got stories i got stories dad they watch he is by no means a perfect human being but he has spent his life pointing me to the Father who is perfect. And he's done that through a true confession. Dads, on this Father's Day, I want want to specifically encourage you. I want to encourage you not just 
to see this morning the difference between two kinds of confessions. I want to encourage you to show it. Show it to your kids. Show them. Show them the difference between a false confession that's merely words and a true one that captures your will and conforms it to the will of Christ. Shades, do you see, do you see the difference between these two kinds of confessions? A false one, words versus will, they're pitted against each other, and a true one. Or words match will. Jesus goes on to help us see even more of the distinction between these two kinds of confessions. He does that by showing us a second truth about them in verses 22 and 23. Read it with me. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works, miracles in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's the second truth, number two. See the difference between two kinds of confessions. Works versus worship. See the difference between two kinds of confession, works versus worship. I, I, think, I think one of the reasons that Jesus goes on to, to say this right here in verses 22 and 23 is to head us off from making a mistake, from, from, to, to correct a potential misunderstanding. Because here's the deal. When, when Jesus tells us that the one who will enter the kingdom of God is the one who does the will of the Father, that could lead us to mistakenly think that this whole thing is about works. I mean, the one who, who gets to enter the kingdom is the one who does, who does the will of the Father. In other words, I gotta, I gotta do God's will. I gotta, that means I gotta work for it, I guess. I guess you can flush the whole Protestant Reformation down the drain. I, I guess I am saved by works. And right here, Jesus emphatically, resoundingly says no to that. He does that by showing us false confessions coming precisely from those who did all the works. Mighty works for Jesus. These people prophesied, proclaimed in his name. Cast out demons in his name. They ahead of me. I have not yet had that experience. Not saying it's outside the realm of possibilities. Definitely not. Do have one crazy story that maybe comes close, but I'm not sure. They did many mighty works, miracles in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry, I totally threw that in, not in my notes at all, and all of you are now going, I want to hear that story. <laughs> I didn't mean to distract you. Ask me later, I'll tell you that story at another time. It'd take up too much time right now. But these people prophesied in the name of Jesus. Notice the repetition of in the name, in the name, in the name. Prophesied in his name, cast out demons, did many mighty works or miracles in his name. Yet they didn't actually know Jesus. And that, not their works, but if they actually know him, have a relationship with him, that's what makes their confession false. 
Like they might have done many mighty works, but none of those works were done as worship. We see examples of this all the time throughout Scripture. Like sometimes this trips people up. How could somebody actually do these mighty works in the name of Jesus if they're not a true believer in Jesus? This should not trip you up if you read your Bible. We see this from cover to cover. People doing all sorts of mighty works, some in the name of our God, when they are not true believers in him. Just go, uh, go to Exodus 7 and see Moses face off against the Egyptian magicians who do many mighty works, not out of worship of Yahweh. If that doesn't fit good enough for you, go to Numbers 23. There, look at how God works through a pagan prophet named Balaam. God works through him to give a true prophecy, but Balaam's not doing it at all for God's glory. Or just flip over in this gospel to Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus commissions out his disciples and they go forth and do specifically these three things. They proclaim in his name, they cast out demons in his name, and they do many mighty miracles in his name. Guess who's in that group? Judas. Go to Acts 19. Or just think about what Jesus had been saying all throughout the Sermon on the Mount to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those for whom all of their works were were done in the name of God, but none of them were done out of worship of God. No, what did we see? We saw that all of the Pharisees' works were done to get others to worship them, praise them, glorify them. Here's the deal, Shades. Mighty works, even if done in Jesus' name, are not evidence of a true confession. Do not be wowed by anyone but Jesus. I don't, I don't care what mighty works people put on display in order to try and validate that they belong to Jesus. I don't, I don't care if they try to put on display the mighty works of megachurch growth or they try to put on display uh, powerful prophetic preaching. I don't, I don't care if they put on display healings or exorcisms, I don't care how crazy, spiritual, miraculous any of it looks. Jesus says all of that is possible by people who don't even know him. The evidence of a true confession is not works, it's worship. Do you know what the apostle Paul did when he tried to validate his ministry? This is a guy who cast out demons who performed miracles and spoke prophetically. Read First and Second Corinthians, especially Second Corinthians, where he is making argument for the validity of his ministry. He lists none of that. What does he list? I took whippings. I went to jail. I loved Jesus so much that I would worship him even if it wounds me or takes my life. The validity of Paul's ministry wasn't works. It was worship. Worship specifically displayed in weakness not strength. The evidence of a true confession is not works, it's worship. It's knowing Christ and and wanting Him to be known, wanting Him to be praised, wanting Him to be glorified. Fathers, let me speak to you again real quick. Apply this specifically to you, to your relationship with your kids. Fathers, you don't have to do 
mighty works to show your kids Jesus. You don't have to be able to speak about spiritual things as skilled as any professional preacher. You don't have to be able to pray like the most impressive people praying you've ever heard. You don't have to be able to do mighty works to show your kids Jesus. Just worship Jesus. They'll see him. Especially if you worship him through weakness. I have never seen Christ more displayed in my own father's life than when he worshiped through weeping. As people spoke falsities about him, maligned him and his character and reputation and none of it was true and he opened not his mouth but looked like jesus like a lamb in silence led to the slaughter he worshiped christ every step of the way that more than anything my father has ever done put jesus on display the evidence of a true confession is not works it's worship do you know what Jesus calls mighty works without worship? Look at it. It's the, it's the last word of verse 23. Lawlessness. Works without worship. Lawlessness. That word is aimed directly at the Pharisees who dedicated their whole lives to keeping the law. But Jesus throughout the entire sermon has told them, you're not actually keeping the law if you're only doing it externally for your own glory. Your external actions have to flow out of internal affections. You gotta actually know me. Isn't that what he says? Never knew. You gotta, you gotta know me. That word, gnosko, it doesn't just mean like mental knowledge, like you got to know who Jesus is and check all the boxes about what you're supposed to believe about him. No, it's, it's more than something mental going on. Uh, it's, it's a word of intimate relationship. It's a, it's a word that Scripture often uses, both in the Old and the New Testament, both in Hebrew and in Greek. It uses this word for knowing as a euphemism for physical intimacy in marriage. They know each other, if you know what I'm saying. Jesus is saying that mighty works are lawlessness unless they are flowing forth out of a relationship where you know him, you love him. Your works have got to be coming out of, of that. Works are worthless unless they are acts of worship. Works are worthless unless they are an external display of an internal reality, unless they are acts of worship. Shades, do you see the difference between these two confessions? False confession of works versus worship and a true confession where works are worship. They flow out of it. If we take all this, we, we've put it all together. I think the difference between true and false confessions becomes crystal clear. Let's, let's put it all together. Everything we've said about words and will and works and worship, all the W's. False confessions are made up 
merely of words and works. That's all it is. It's a bunch of talk, maybe even a bunch of an action, with nothing real underneath it. False confessions are made up merely of words and works. True confessions, true confessions are words and works. They're still involved, but they are words and works that flow forth from transformed affections. My will aligns with his will. Works and words that flow forth from transformed affections and worship. In other words, to make it even simpler, the difference between a true and a false confession is knowing Jesus. That's it. John 17 and verse 3, straight out of the mouth of Jesus himself. This is eternal life. This is it. We know if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you have eternal life. Here it is. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is it. This is eternal life. This is being a citizen of the kingdom. This is what makes a confession true, that you know the only true God, and you can only know him through Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Knowing Jesus, that's what makes a confession true. We see that clearly through the freaky final words of verse 23. Where Jesus says, those making false confessions, this is what he says to them. I never knew you. Difference between a true and false confession, whether or not you know Christ. He says to those making false confessions, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Interestingly right there, Jesus is actually quoting the Psalms. He's quoting Psalm 6 and verse 8. If you go back to Psalm 6, what you'll find is you will find the psalmist suffering. And he's suffering at the hands of the unrighteous. And so the psalmist says, depart from me, you workers of of lawlessness. The significance of that is that means these freaky final words of Jesus actually are not meant to just be freaky and convicting. They are also meant to be comforting. How so? Jesus, by quoting the psalmist, he's identifying himself with the psalmist. The psalmist who is suffering at the hands of the unrighteous, how much more will Jesus suffer at the hands of the unrighteous on our behalf for our sin? By quoting the psalmist, he's identifying with the psalmist who suffers at the hands of the unrighteous, of the unrighteous. but by quoting it specifically in this context, at the final judgment, he's showing us that the day will come when what the psalmist could only pray and hope for will actually become a reality through Christ's own command. The day will come when he will command the wicked to depart. This is gospel good news. How does it hit your heart? Conviction or comfort? This, the, the, the difference in how this passage hits your heart, this passage freaks a lot of people out. A lot of Christians. This passage causes all sorts of concerns for. The difference in how this passage should hit your heart is found in the kind of confession your heart makes. Shades, if your heart, if you're if, if walking through this this morning, if you see, my confession is false. Mere empty words and works. 
if that's your confession, then Jesus' words should freak you out. That's not a bad thing. They're a warning given to us lovingly. Every warning that God gives is a loving warning meant to shake and wake us up. These words are meant to lovingly confront those with false confessions, bring them to conviction so that they are led to a place where they make a true confession. This this is something we are instructed to take notice of and take heart about all throughout the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Right there for Paul, the evidence of whether or not these people are in the faith is whether or not they repent when Christ convicts them. Do you repent? Paul says that's evidence you're in the faith. If you have a hard, unrepentant heart that refuses to follow Jesus, false confession. Or how about 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 where Peter says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling and election. In context, what Peter is talking about is do you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, transforming your heart, transforming your affections, so that you live a life in line with the will of God? Not perfectly by any means. Obviously, we will fail, and that's when we repent. Here is the evidence. You put those two passages together, here is the evidence of a true confession. I long to love and live in line with God's will, and when I don't, I repent. That is the life of a true confession false confession i love and long to live in line with my will and i don't feel the need to repent of any of it if your confession is false these words are meant to warn us wake us and bring us to a place where we make a true confession where our words and works do flow out of transformed affections do flow out of worship we confess christ because we actually know christ and if that is you if you know christ you have a true confession then jesus's words right here should not freak you out they should bring you comfort how so comfort that your security is in Christ. It is not dependent upon you doing mighty works. It's dependent upon you knowing and embracing the one who has done the mighty work. See how comforting that is? My security in Christ is not based on me being able to prophesy, cast out demons, or do any miracles, or any other mighty deed I can come up with. My security in Christ is dependent upon me knowing the one who has done the only mighty work required. You are saved by works, Shades, just not yours. You know him. You love him. Which is only possible if he is transforming the desires of your heart to align with his. This is why you worship. Your actions are an overflow of affection. This is a true confession. Shades, Let the words of Christ comfort you. For all who make a true confession, this passage is a promise. It's a promise that the day is coming when Christ will make all things new. Everything false will be removed. 
every false prophet and pastor, there's a promise in this passage, every false prophet and pastor that has used and abused God's people, used and abused God's word in the name of Jesus, one day will be exposed, will be removed, will have to depart. Every false follower of Christ that has wounded and hurt you claiming the name of Jesus in order to cover up their own sin or use it as a shield to keep themselves from accountability, they will be held accountable. Shades, in a world where so many egregious things happen in the name of Jesus, it is comforting to know that one day Jesus will clear his name. So I don't have to. We don't have to. You don't have to defend the name of Jesus. You don't have to defend a lion. Just let him loose. You and I don't have to defend Jesus. We can faithfully just keep confessing who he is, that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he works through those true confessions to bring about conviction and comfort shades do you see the difference do you see the difference between these two kinds of confessions true and false the difference is knowing jesus and the good news is that if you don't know him you're still invited to come to christ know him make a true confession